Hallelujah. 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 Christ is risen. Thank you. We at First Church would like to wish everyone here and listening on the radio a blessed Easter as we celebrate Christ's resurrection. There are many activities, prayer requests, and rejoices happening at First Church. I encourage you to look through the announcements in the bulletin for things that touch your heart. The red rose on the altar is for Vernon and Joanne Felbish. I see David's here and his family celebrating, get this, 69 years of anniversary. And that's actually this coming Tuesday, the 3rd. So, happy anniversary, guys. Thank you to the men's Sunday morning Bible study for preparing wonderful Easter breakfast again this, this year. Also, the bell choir, we've enjoyed you this season. This is the last time they'll be playing for us before their summer break. Thank you to each of you for your time and practice your investment to worship for our Lord through music. If you would please rise with me as we have our call to worship and our opening hymns as we rejoice in our resurrected Lord. The call to worship is located in the blue hymnal. So if you, I see most of you got those out. Found page 214. Also note that the second hymn we're singing, we're just going to sing verses 1 and 2. So, the call to worship is taken from Matthew, chapter 28. He is risen. Alleluia. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were as white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead people. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who is crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. He is not here. He is risen. Hallelujah. And now on to our opening hymn, 2.15. Hallelujah.
forward for a time with Mrs. Lammers. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. Good. <clears throat> All right. Now, some of you are looking out to the congregation. You might want to turn around and look at me. Okay? Looking at me. Okay? So, today we're talking about Easter, right? Yeah. All right. So, I have a tea bag here with me. Okay? How many of you like to drink tea? Yeah? How many of Grandma and Grandpa like to drink tea? Yeah, it's more of a grandma-grandpa kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah, maybe more grandma than grandpa even. Well, on the tea bag, it has a label, okay? It tells us what kind of tea it is, okay? Jesus was labeled with a lot of different tags. He was labeled as Christ, Messiah, teacher, carpenter, son of God, redeemer, a good shepherd, the king of the Jews, okay? But Jesus wasn't really concerned about those titles. He didn't consider himself equal with God. Instead, he took on the nature of a servant. He looked just like you and me. Okay, so attached to the label before you get to the tea bag is the string, okay? And the string people often become attached <clears throat> to things on earth. Like things like toys and cars, games <clears throat> and power. But Jesus wasn't attached to these kind of things. Jesus was focused on doing what God wanted him to do. Jesus' purpose was for our redemption. Okay, now... <clears throat> There is a little staple that holds the string to the tea bag, okay? And that little staple punctures the tea bag, okay? But it wasn't a staple that punctured Jesus. It was a nail, all right? So, when we open up a tea bag, there's tea on the inside, right? Okay, Jojo, I need you to sit down because this next part gets a little crazy. Okay, now, tea kind of looks like dirt, okay? It kind of looks like dirt, okay? Some of it smells, some of it doesn't, okay? But if you put some of that tea into water, it looks like dirty water, okay? And like the tea bag, we all have dirt in our lives. Things we do wrong, we're not pure, just like this water isn't pure anymore. The Bible calls that dirt sin, okay? We need help to, from God to remove that sin from our lives, and that is why Jesus came, okay? 
So, when Jesus removes sin from our lives, we can stand pure and proud. Okay? And we can become a light for God. Okay? Now, when I light the top, I am going to light the top of the tea bag. As you shine for Jesus, you will become closer to God, and one day you will join him for eternal life in heaven. Just like Jesus ascended to heaven, we can shine like Jesus' light for everyone on earth to see. Yeah. Isn't that pretty amazing? So we know that Jesus ascended to heaven. He rose from the dead for us. And we can be that light that shines. Okay, let's say a quick prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you for sending Jesus to be with us here on earth. Thank you for allowing him to die on the cross for our sins so that one day we can join you in heaven for eternity. Help us to shine your light everywhere we go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keep in mind the family of friends of those lost this week. Fort Bragg, North Carolina, Sergeant First Class Mark Daniel Leshikar, 33, from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Killed in Monbaj, Syria, from England, Sergeant Matt Tunro, 33, from Manchester, England, from the United States, Master Sergeant Jonathan Dunbar, 36, from Austin, Texas. Don't worry, I'm not joining the choir today. (laughs) Just want to take a moment and pray uh, for for these requests we have before us. Father, we are so grateful that, that we have this opportunity to gather this morning and worship today and every other day that, that you raised your son, Jesus Christ, from the dead. That though he died on the cross for our sins, he did not stay dead, but is alive and well today and is seated at, seated at your hand right now and ever intercedes for us. So I pray now that you would hear our, our prayers, hear the requests that we have. I pray that each one of us here would be able to lay our burdens at your feet, knowing full well, Lord Jesus, that you are alive and you hear us as we pray. It's with that confidence that we can come to you this morning and any day uh, because you are alive and you have raised from the dead. Uh, And we thank you so much for what that means for us and the hope that that brings us. And we also know, Lord, and have confidence that that means that we are never alone and that you will never leave us nor forsake us. And so as even as we face difficulties in life, even in our greatest moments of joy, you are there by our side. And we have that hope to strengthen and comfort us. And so we pray now that you would be with us and and ultimately, Lord, that your will would be done in each and every one of the situations we have listed here, as well as any other burdens we may carry with us this morning. We pray all these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time. Yeah. 
Please remain standing and hear the Easter scripture, which comes from the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on that first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful once again to have this opportunity to to worship you this morning. We are thankful for the good news of Easter morning, that you are not dead, that you are alive, you have risen, and that you have gone before us. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And I pray that as we focus on the meaning of your resurrection this morning, what, what it means for us, that you would open our hearts and minds to what you have to say, and that you'd give me words to speak this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Easter morning was, must have been a shocking experience, if you, if you think about it. Imagine being one of those women, one of those first people to arrive at Jesus' tomb that morning and to see what they saw. See, people expected Jesus to do what dead people normally do, and that's to stay dead, right? That's what they were expecting. Even his closest disciples who had scattered, even those women who were, who were going there that morning, were going not to see an empty tomb, but to prepare Jesus' body for burial because they were unable to do so during the Sabbath. See, that's what they were expecting. And they had the surprise, the shock of their lives to, to go and to see that the stone had been rolled away, that Jesus was no longer in the tomb, but was alive. An angel was there and, and told them the good news that the one who is crucified, the one who is dead, is now alive. And he is no longer there, but has gone before them to Galilee. And that's good news. But to our modern ears, it seems a little foolish, doesn't it? Seems a little strange, seems a little unexpected. But you see, God uses the foolish things of this world to, to accomplish his will. And in fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see Paul explicitly say that, that the cross, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. This is beginning in verse 18 of chapter 1. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. And where is this wise person? Where is this teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, 
And the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. See, it seems crazy. It seems foolish to believe. Even after Jesus had said he would die and come again, to believe that that would actually happen. Because it just doesn't make sense from our human perspective. His disciples who had been with him for three years had scattered and they were nowhere to be found. It's just these women to go and witness the greatest event in human history. That God our Savior, that God raised our Savior, Jesus Christ, from the dead. And he is alive. Hallelujah, Christ is risen. And you see, that's what our faith is all about. As we gather this Easter morning and we remember the resurrection, we're not remembering just, a, just a, a, an interesting point of our faith. We're celebrating the very crux, the very center of our faith. See, the resurrection is what holds our faith together. Without it, we are lost and there is nothing to hope for. Later on in his letter to the Corinthians, Paul says just that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Verses 13 through 19, Paul writes this. He says, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he has raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is is futile, and you are still in your sins, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people are to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. You see, our entire faith, everything that we hold dear, comes together at that empty tomb. Jesus' death and his resurrection is the very center, it's the very meaning of of what it means to be a Christian and put our faith in him. If he didn't die on the cross, if he wasn't raised from the dead, our faith would be pointless. But we gather together this morning as God's people to say he did die for us and he is alive today before us as well. And that's why, you know, we may ask the question this morning, why is the resurrection so important? Why does our faith hang on that reality? It's because the resurrection proves, among many other things, it proves three things that I want to highlight for us this morning. First of all, it proves that we are redeemed. It proves that we have been brought into a relationship with God, and it gives us a reason to live. So first, I want to highlight that that the resurrection proves that we are redeemed. You see, the resurrection proves that Jesus is, in fact, who he says he is. Jesus said a lot of things during his life about, about his relationship with the Father, about his ability to forgive sins, and all that he was doing in order to establish the kingdom of God here on this earth. And people can say a whole lot of things, right? People can say a lot of stuff, but if they can't back it up, if they can't prove it, then it's just talk. But it was the, his death on the cross, it was his resurrection that proved that what he said was true. That he truly was the Son of God, truly is the Son of God, truly has the ability to forgive our sins and restore us and redeem us. If Jesus was still dead, he'd be just like any of the other messiahs that have come throughout human history. People promising wonderful things, but who have died and, and have moved on. But Jesus is different. Jesus died for us, but he lives for us as well. 
His sacrifice on the cross was effective and accepted by God. He lives again because He conquered sin and death. And it no longer has power over Him. You see, Jesus didn't die just to make us good people. I think that's what we, we get confused about that a lot. We, we fall into this trap that Christianity is just about being a good person. But we can be good people apart from God, can't we? We can be good, moral people without the cross, without the resurrection. I can force myself to be good and to be nice to people, to a certain extent at least. Jesus didn't die to make us good. He didn't rise from the grave to make us good. He rose from the grave to make us alive. Because we were dead in our sins. Apart from Him, we are lifeless. But in Him, we have the light of life. We have hope of eternal life that begins now and lasts forever. Romans 6.11 says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God and Christ Jesus. Romans 4.25 says, He was delivered, speaking of Jesus, over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. See, His resurrection proves as the final word in Jesus' life and His death and His ministry. It's the final word proving that what He did mattered. And that His sacrifice on the cross for our sins truly did for remove our sin from us. In Philippians chapter 3, verses 4-14, through 14, Paul writes this. He says, If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, and as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. In other words, if all that mattered was being a good person, if all that mattered was having your stuff in order, then Paul had it all figured out. But he goes on to say in verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. See, Paul understood, and we need to understand, that, it, that Jesus died and is alive again, not just to make us good people, but to make us alive again. Those apart from Christ, they're going through this life spiritually dead. And most don't even realize it. And it's only in Christ, His death and His resurrection, that we can have true eternal life. He has transferred us from the dominion of, of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom He loves. That's what His death and His resurrection did for us. It exchanged, exchanged our sin for His righteousness. And that's nothing we could have done on our own. Second, we see 
First, that first we see that we are his resurrection proves that we are redeemed, but it also proves that we were redeemed for a relationship. The resurrection means that Jesus is alive even now, even today. See, we can't have a relationship with a dead person. But Christ is alive, and so we can know Him and He can know us. And that relationship can be established and it can be restored to what it was meant to be in the first place. And so through Him, because Jesus is alive and at the right hand of the Father, we have access to God like, like never before. See, we no longer have to go through priests or pastors or anything like that in order to, to know God and have a relationship with Him. That is made available to each and every one of us because Jesus is alive, because He sends His Spirit to live in us. We can know Him and have that relationship with Him. Romans 8.34 says, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, and more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. In 1 Timothy 2.5, Paul instructs his young protege, there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. See, we have that opportunity to have a relationship with him, to have that kind of connection because he lives today. And Jesus was restoring what was lost before you see, we often start the story of our salvation with our sin. We start with this idea that we are sinners in need of a Savior, and that is true. But what, is, what we need to know before that is that God created us to know Him and be in relationship with Him. Just look at Genesis 1 and 2. God having that relationship with Adam and Eve in the garden. That's the kind of relationship, that's the kind of creation that God had in mind. And it was only at that point when sin broke that relationship, when sin distorted that relationship, that sin enters the picture, right? That's, that's the problem we face. The problem is that that relationship was lost and what Christ Jesus did for us on the cross, His resurrection restores that relationship like it was meant to be in the beginning. God is recreating His world. He's recreating us and it's all possible through Jesus' life and death and His new life. I mentioned before, eternal life begins now. We have hope because of Jesus for this life and the next. You know, it would be enough if, if we just had hope for the future, that one day we would be with God and, and be with Him forever. That enough is hope. That enough is worth trusting in Christ for. And that is true. We have the hope that one day we will be with Him. His resurrection ensures our resurrection. We will live like Him and be with Him forever. But that's not the whole story. Eternal life begins now. We can know Christ here in this life. And have a relationship with Him. It begins the moment you put your trust in Christ. And He gives us His Holy Spirit as a down payment of that relationship. Of that future hope we have. Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says, As for you also, excuse me, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, when you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are in God's possession to the praise of His glory. That relationship, that, that eternal life that God promises can begin now, can begin today for each and every one of us. And so we are redeemed 
We're redeemed for a relationship, and we're redeemed also so that we can live for a reason. We can live with purpose. See, Jesus' life, His death, His resurrection gives our life meaning and purpose like it never had before. Before Jesus returned to the Father, He gave His disciples one last command, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It's that command that He gave His disciples, but in doing so, He gives it to each one of us. We now have the privilege, we now have the responsibility to to share that good news with everyone. You see, if Jesus were still dead, if He were still in a tomb somewhere in Israel, then it wouldn't matter what we do. We can just go on living life as is because there's no, no significance to that. But because He is alive, because He is no longer in that tomb, we have the responsibility and the privilege to share that good news with everyone. If Jesus is in fact alive, ought we, ought we, shouldn't we share that with people? Shouldn't we go out and spread that good news and that hope that we have? That's the reason we now have to live. It gives our life meaning and purpose. Now, that doesn't mean everyone has to quit their job and become a pastor or a missionary. It means doing what you do each and every day with that goal and that focus in mind. Keeping your eyes focused on Christ and sharing that good news through your words, through your actions, and through your attitudes. To bring us back to the Gospel of Mark in this passage, I love how it almost ends on a cliffhanger here, doesn't it? The women were afraid. They went and they didn't tell anybody. It leaves us with this moment of, what are they going to do? Well, obviously, we know the ending of the story because 2,000 years later, we're standing here talking about it. They obviously went and told someone. They went and found the disciples, and the news began to spread from there. But we're left with the the question, what are we going to do with the good news? What are we going to do with the good news that Jesus is alive? Are we going to keep it to ourselves? Are we going to be afraid to share that with others? Or are we going to allow God to work in and through us in order to spread that good news with everyone we meet? Are we going to live with that reason and that purpose in mind? God's love demands a response. God's grace demands a response. He's done the work for us. He's done everything that is necessary for our salvation. We just simply need to respond to it. Respond to the grace that is shown on the cross. Respond to the the forgiveness of sins and the new life that the resurrection promises. We must respond to it. And so I encourage you this day to recommit or to to commit your lives to Christ or, or recommit them at this moment. Promising anew that you will live for Him because He lives for us. And it's simple. It's not complicated. Simply saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the ways that I've fallen short. I'm sorry for the sin that I've committed. I'm sorry that, that I am a sinner in need of a Savior. And then you say, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again to new life so that I have the hope of eternal life now. And finally, help me. Help me now from this point forward to live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you. In just a moment, we're, about to, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper is a reminder not just of His death, but also of His resurrection. It's a reminder that on the cross, our sins have been redeemed. Our sins have been forgiven. And we are now free to live life as it was meant to be lived in Christ. It's an invitation into a relationship. As we share that bread and that juice, it's it's an invitation into a relationship with the Lord, but also with each other as brothers and sisters in Christ.
And it empowers us for mission, for the reason to live, so that we may know Christ and share that love and share that grace with others. It gives us the encouragement and equips us to go from this place and share that today. So as we take communion in just a moment, I encourage you to think about it in that way. Ask God to to come into your life by his Holy Spirit, to, to cleanse you and to equip you to live new life in him. And it's all because he is alive and can hear us and has that relationship with us today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you that your resurrection proves that you are alive and well today and that you are here with us even now by your Spirit. I pray that you would encourage us now. I pray that you'd bring to mind those things that have gotten in the way of our relationship with you. Lord, we confess that we are sinners in need of a Savior. And we thank you that you are that Savior that we need. Apart from you, we have no hope. But in you, we have the hope of eternal life, which can begin this day, this moment. I pray that all here would receive that. Lord, maybe for the first time, but we all need to receive it each and every day, each and every moment. Help us, Lord, to do that today. In Christ we pray. Amen. Just a moment, we will begin to to share communion together. But I want to give a little extra instructions today. We're going to be doing it a little different because Sharon and the praise team are going to be singing a a song as we take communion. And so as we do that this morning, the the trays are going to be passed just like normal, but we'll encourage you to just be prayerful. Think of the, listen to the words of the song as it's being sung and think about what Christ has done for you, that you've been redeemed to be in a relationship with him and live for a reason. And when you're ready at the right moment, I encourage you to take that bread and take that juice and partake in the Lord's Supper together. Um, But I'll leave that at your own prompting to do that. So I invite those who are helping with communion to come forward at this time. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. Having given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink it, do so in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So all you who have received Jesus as your Lord and Messiah, I encourage you to take this holy sacrament to your comfort.
for this reminder of your body and blood broken for us, shed for us on the cross. And the reminder as well that you are no longer dead, but you are alive and risen today. You are alive now and forever. And it is by your life that we have the hope of eternal life. It is by your resurrection that we have the hope of eternal life in you. And I pray now that as we receive this sacrament, that we would have our hearts and our minds focused on you, that from this point forward we can live for you because you lived and you died and you rose again for us. We thank you for this in Christ's name. Amen. As we close our service today, we'd like to do it in song. Uh, you just got to hear a, a, a little bit of a newer song this, this morning called Forever. The words for the chorus are printed in your bulletin. Uh, I think it would be great for us to, to sing that chorus through one, one time, and then we're going to sing right into number 220, He Lives, as a way to, to praise God and, and celebrate the resurrection this morning. So I invite you to stand and join us as we close our service in song. Oh,
God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever and ever. He is risen. Amen.